is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Well, I think there is a better than not chance that we are at least somewhat screwed this time. Yeah, a couple things for you. There is a 92% chance that Democrats will gain seats in Congress this year. And it's almost a given that we're going to have gun control. These are things that are just based upon facts and history and analytics. And I've got a couple questions for you real quick. The first one is going to be easy. The Second Amendment, why do we have it? Well, I mean, how did it end up like, you know, Number two, that one's probably easy. Here's another one uh, that only the most astute will have at the ready, at your fingertips. How long has the Department of Education been around? Now, I'm going to tie all this together. I'm going to tie the 92% together. I'm going to tie why we're somewhat screwed together. I'm going to uh, get to the premise of why the Second Amendment Happens to be numero dos. And yes, why all this is coming together right now under the guise of gun control and why it's coming and it's just a matter of what it looks like. And about now, you're going, all right, Department of Education. Uh, And by the way, who the heck are you? Valid questions both. Um, I am not in an underground bunker. I am about 10 feet above sea level in a West Palm Beach, Brian Mudd. I do a morning show on WJNO from 5 to 9 in West Palm Beach, and I do a mid-morning show on WIOD in Miami from 10 until noon. Now, what both of these stations have in common in the context of this greater gun control debate is one suburb of Fort Lauderdale, That is now a household name. Very nice community called Parkland. Between my two stations in West Palm Beach and Miami, just about in the middle between those two is one Parkland. Which now you know, as well as you know Columbine and Sandy Hook, the only difference is the school names in those particular cases. In this particular case, the school name is uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which is complicated to keep up with, so people just know it as Parkland which is actually the municipality. Now, a couple things about all this. By the way, the gray one, he is under the weather, and uh, he'll be back with you soon. It's an honor to be with you. Now, a couple things about the premise. The last time I was with you, filling in for the great one, actually was on Nunes Memo Friday. It was a couple Fridays ago when the memo was just coming out. And my background is on an an, as an analyst, not one of these bullcrap CNN people, posers, that, that say they're analysts and just sit there and spew a bunch of crap. What I actually do is based on being analytical. And I have my opinions, very strong ones, based off of the facts. But I always go where the facts take me, and I always get everything down before I begin to formulate opinions. So the first thing I did in the wake of this shooting, which, by the way, being in the middle of it down here, It's been a week. I tell you, it doesn't feel like it's been more than a few days. It just feels like it's been a few continuous, incredibly emotional, and 
awful few days. But getting all the facts down about the Parkland situation began to put a bunch of things in perspective for me. And I believe you got to start with the premise. Because if the premise of anything, the foundation of anything isn't right, anything you build on it is going to be screwed up, including your arguments, by the way. So I, I started taking a look, and we see this Parkland shooting, what went down. We have a person who was expelled from the school, troubled kid. We find out the cops had been called on him 39 times over five years. Then he's expelled from school. Kids in the school say, hey, if anybody's going to shoot this place up, it'd be that guy, Nicholas Cruz. And then we find out, but wait, there's more. The FBI on not once, but two different occasions have been brought into the fold. Once by a Bell's bondsman from Mississippi, who in a comment to one of his YouTube videos said, hey, FBI, got some uh, concerns here. This guy says he wants to be a professional school shooter. And then we find out the feds were contacted less than a month before the shooting. Now, here's one of the easy things I can say, and that is real. If the FBI did its damn job, not only are 17 people alive in Parkland right now, 49 people are alive in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub. Because that's right, our two mass shootings here in Florida have a couple things in common. In both cases, the FBI had this brought to their attention multiple times. And in both cases, they failed us. And we've been told ever since 9-11, if you see something, say something. What a crock of crap. What a crock of crap. I'm not saying it can make a difference. I'm not saying that there haven't been more responsive and responsible investigators in certain circumstances up till now. There's always more in intelligence and you know, the law enforcement community than we necessarily hear about. However, I do know this much. They had everything they needed before the Paul shooting. They had everything they needed before the Parkland shooting, and it happened anyway. But I'm still not at the premise. These are just things that you notice as you're analyzing the facts of the case. Coming up an hour from now, I'm going to tell you why we're going to have gun control. And it's just a matter of what exactly it looks like. And it's not based on anything other than analytics and information. But first, got to get you there. we got to lay all this out and understand how we got to this place. Because we didn't get to this place because this 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz, who has mental health problems on top of all kinds of other disciplinary and, and related issues over the years, because he shut up the school. This started a long time before he was even going. So let me take that first question I asked you, the Second Amendment, the easy one. This is always the complicated, difficult, and yes, at times uncomfortable question that we should address. Why is it the Second Amendment? Now, intellectually, you know that answer. Absolutely you do. What's the answer? Because it was a priority, right? It was a priority to the founders of this country. Okay. Now, why was it a priority? This is where it becomes a bit more uncomfortable, especially, especially for those on the left. Was it the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution? Because, well, you know, hey, what do you, 
I, I, I get, we're going to do the gun thing. Yeah? Okay. So, eh, we'll just make it the second one. I think it just happened. It was kind of a flippant thing, but it just kind of ended up being number two, the second biggest priority in the Constitution. Just random, right? No. Of course not, right? Who were these people? Who were the founders? Who created the Constitution? What happened leading up to that moment? Here is the reality, and yes, the uncomfortable truth for those on the left. They had all kinds of guns, all kinds of weaponry. They used everything they could to kill as many British as they possibly could until they gave up. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a fact. Two sides to every story, one side to every fact. Happens to be a fact. That's why it was the second biggest priority. Number one, you got freedom of expression. Number two, you got what you need to defend it. These are people who just fought a revolution against the government and won. Now, when was it ever positioned that way? In school, in education? How is it taught today? Is it taught today? Now, by what I've seen... And what I've observed over the past couple of decades, the answer is no. It's not even taught in school. American history, shoot, and not taught. American history, typically these days, begins with the Civil War, maybe. And even then, it's just kind of a glance over and a kind of politically correct version. We don't really teach about the American Revolution anymore. Not in your public education system. And that's where this conversation has to continue. That's why I asked you that second extremely important question. When was the Department of Education created? Have you thought of it? The answer, the first year it was in effect, 1980. That's it. Most people think it's been around a whole lot longer. Oh, yeah, you know, you probably ask the average person, uh, the, the average uh, leftist, oh, yeah, you know, it's always been there. Part of education, shoot, yeah, I mean, we always had schools, right? Uh-uh. No. We didn't always have federal bureaucrats involved in setting the education system in this country. Uh-uh. That was a product of good old Jeb Carter, good old Captain Peanut, and his uh, band of idiots in Congress. Now, the Department of Education just being around since 1980, what's happened to education outcomes since then? That's my next question for you. Again, there's a hard answer to this. Do you know what specifically has happened to the U.S. education system, to the average outcome in the United States of America from a student who starts in kindergarten, goes through grade 12 in the United States of America since 1980, where that student ranked in terms of having a world-class education then and where that student ranks today? That's one I want you to think about. I'll give you the answer. And I'll tie the rest of this together coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. All right. Uh, yeah, gotta love uh, good old technology. Great when it's working and not as great when it isn't. Uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one here. And before the break, I set up for you the premise about education in this country. And specifically, specifically, 
the Department of Education, when was it created? Well, it was created and went into effect in 1980. It's a pretty recent phenomenon. And I also asked you a second question, and that is, when is it and how were we ranked before the Department of Education? We were second, second in the world in education outcomes. The average student in the United States of America who went through kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, public education, came out with the second best average education in the world. Only country that had us beat prior to the creation of the Department of Education was Australia. That's it. Public education in the United States of America was a world-class education. Now, bigger issue, where are we today? That answer is right at the premise of why we've got problems. Why we've got very big problems. The answer, 17th. And something dawned on me recently. It's the reason why we're in trouble. We're going to talk about this and why gun control is happening. Conservative fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. This is different and change is going to come now. And I want you guys to remember, this is never going to happen again like this. No more families won't have their kids at home anymore. No more families will have to fear about their kids going to school. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If only, if only we just get out there and, and we have gun control. If only that happens, we'll never have this problem again, right? I mean, cause the problem was the gun. The problem wasn't Nicholas Cruz. The problem wasn't the education establishment in this country failing our country for decades now. The problem here isn't that the average person doesn't have context for the world around them anymore. No, it's none of that. Simply, it'll never happen again. You get your gun control. It sounded one of the uh, students from Parkland, from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, who is under the weather, broadcasting uh, from uh, right in the middle of the suit down here in South Florida. I've been living this story for the past week as it's been breaking out. About this time last week, we had the rush of emotions in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. In all the usual things you would expect, horror, the tragedy, the shock, the immediate questions about how in the world did this happen. And then very quickly, by Thursday morning last week, the finger pointing began. And then there was a press conference with our governor, Rick Scott, with local law enforcement, with the Ford FBI, with some other officials. And by the time it was done, it was full on politicking. And it's been nothing but nonstop gun control ever since. Now, to recap what we covered in the first half hour of the show, setting the premise for why gun control is coming and why we really might be somewhat screwed this time. Recap a couple points here. Number one, why do we have the Second Amendment as the Second Amendment? Because it was that big of a priority for a bunch of revolutionaries who had just killed a bunch of British people until they gave up to give you and me freedom. And by the way, kids like that that don't even understand how they got their freedom. 
Again, not their fault. They just weren't taught it because we don't teach that in our schools, which led me to my second point. The Department of Education, when was it created? Well, it was created and went into effect in 1980. That's it. Fairly recent, right? And what was the average outcome for the average student in 1980 when we had the initiation of the Department of Education? Well, second in the world, second only to Australia. So a public education, the average public education, the United States of America, a world-class education. Now, where are we today? Well, as of last year, we are 17th in the world, 17th in the world in average education outcomes. And we've been going nowhere but down ever since 1980, ever since the creation of the Department of Education. Now, this is all part of laying the groundwork and analyzing what's different today. We had never had a mass shooting in any grade school prior to Columbine in 99, right? So as I'm trying to analyze and as we're taking a look at all the facts, just the facts, to try to see what is different, Columbine happens in 99, then we have Sandy Hook, 2012, and now we got this in Parkland. In fact, the only mass shooting that ever happened at an education institute prior to Columbine in the 60s at Texas Tech, you had a shooting, but never in grade school. So as I'm trying to figure out what are all the things that are different, I gave you a couple, talking about the Department of Education, talking about what changed in education. Now, why does that matter? Well, what happened with the adaptation of the Department of Education? What changed in public education in this country? We started to see a lot of policies change, right? We started to see things like eh, Christmas break go away, winter break come in, right? We started to see that you don't have to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, and by the way, under God, uh-uh, right? Those types of things started happening. See, what we ended up doing is we took the foundation-based principles of this country, and that ultimately was built upon faith, a faith in God, and values implicit with that belief in God, whether you happen to adhere to that God or not, that was the foundation, the value system that our country was set up on. So the Department of Education comes in, and it starts eliminating all that. Okay. So now we have a whole generation of kids being brought up in a public education system that is consistently going backwards in terms of the education outcomes that's eliminating values Good values in the classroom. And something dawned on me about this point as I'm analyzing all of these facts in the wake of the Parkland shooting. I realize I've been doing this for about 20 years. And that entire time, any time we've gotten on the topic of education, I've been taking a look at the information going, hey, we have some problems here in education. Hey, we got some issues here in education. Hey, you see, we're still sliding backwards. You know, look at math, look at science, look at... Uh, These outcomes are not good. I've been talking about this my entire career. And what dawned on me in this now is I've been talking about this longer than somebody like Nicholas Cruz has even been alive. And my realization was, and this is where I think we're at least somewhat screwed this time. Holy cow. They don't know. They have no basis of understanding why they're even free. They don't understand why the Second Amendment is the Second Amendment. They don't think that it matters 
to get all the facts of the situation before instituting a political agenda. See, here's something, as I continue to analyze the Parkland situation, that jumped out at me. I went and I took a look. And again, I never know as an analyst where facts are going to lead me. I just put them down and see the picture that they paint. Colorado. Colorado. Columbine. They are 33rd in gun ownership rates. Sandy Hook. Connecticut. They are 46th in gun ownership rates. Florida. We are 41st in gun ownership rates. Now, why am I bringing this up? As I'm just trying to get all this information together, let me ask you a question. If this really were about guns, generally, whether it's an AR-15 or anything, isn't it odd that where we have had these mass school shootings, we have below average gun ownership rates? And actually fairly dramatic below average gun ownership rates. See, if the idea here really was, it's about guns. And if you have a bunch of guns, if you have a bunch of AR-15s or whatever you're afraid of, if you have a bunch of them in one place, holy crap, you're really set up for more of these types of situations to occur. Don't you think that maybe we would have greater problems where they're more prevalent? I mean, doesn't that demand an answer, a response, a thoughtful conversation even? I can't have that conversation here. I've been trying to have it for a week. It's frustrating as hell. Which, by the way, is exciting about me being with you. I love this video. Uh, You guys are an amazing, intelligent, thoughtful audience. And I've been wanting to have this entire conversation. Lay everything out this way. I've yet to get anybody that will address that particular point. If it's about the guns, why where they're most prevalent, haven't we had these problems? And further, okay, we get more gun control. We have more restrictions. Will that necessarily rein it in? Well, we know that in many mass shootings, independent of school situations, often the guns are uh, detained illegally because this just in, you know, criminals, they tend to break the law. I mean, funny thing about that. But more than even that particular point, let's move away from some of the school shootings for a moment. What happened in Texas at the church shooting? Did that individual buy the guns Legally? Yeah. Was he supposed to? No. Let's take a look at North Carolina. Remember the white supremacist that shot up the black church? Did he buy his guns legally? Yeah. Was he supposed to? No. See, it's a funny thing about government once again. It often fails us. So, to the student who said, this will never happen again. If we only get our gun control, it will never happen again. Okay. Even if you got your gun control, I mean, heck, even if you had total gun control, number one, not going to stop criminals from breaking the law. Number two, it's not going to stop dangerous people like Nicholas Cruz from being dangerous people. And number three, well, even at that point, the system often fails. So then what? Okay. So as we're putting together all these pieces, we have education outcomes. We've got guns and gun ownership rates. To consider. Then I take a look at something else that's different. This is a conversation that many have had, and it warrants a lot of thoughtful conversation, I think. And that is the influence of social media and the influence of entertainment in today's society. I don't think there's any question but that it's harder to be a child today than it used to be. 
Because at least in the context of bullying, for example, for a kid that's picked on, a kid that's bullied, used to be when we were in school, once the school day ended, at least the bullying stopped for that day, right? At least for that one moment in time, there was a break. Not anymore. Because of social media, it's 24-7, right? Never stops. Never stops. So it magnifies things. It magnifies peer pressure. It magnifies negative outcomes. And it exacerbates, I think, people that do have issues, which is something else that we need to consider in all this. See, part of putting together all the facts here, of truly analyzing the Parkland shooting, is that guns, not new, right? including AR-15s. Mental health issues are not new, right? These these have been around. So why is it that there's such a big problem now? And they didn't used to be. We didn't used to have people going around shooting up schools. And that's where, I think, this comes into play. And we have plenty of research that shows, for example, by the time the average young person gets done sampling Facebook and other social media, they feel worse than before they went there. Often, People will use it until they have a bad enough experience that they get off of it. Now think about that for a moment. All this pressure, all this negativity, an exacerbation of extremes, and then people that are made to feel bad at the end of every one of those experiences. Not exactly healthy, right? And that also segues into what are they doing when they're not on social media? Well, take a look at many of the video games. Take a look at a lot of the movies. So you begin to get this picture of what's changed, the actual variables, the variables, the Department of Education, what's changed in the classroom. I firmly believe that the further our society distances itself from God, the worse we become as a society. There is plenty of evidence that would suggest that there's something to it. Because, again, whether you happen to believe in God or not, or whatever God you might even believe in, the values themselves are good values. And I also believe that if we take a look at the variables, they tie directly into where we see the problems. And we haven't talked really about the biggest one of all, and that is about the FBI. Because if they did their damn job, 17 people are alive in Parkland, 49 people are alive in Orlando, and we're not having this conversation right now. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. So at least we got a little bit of creativity there. I mean, you know, for 80 years now, we've had the hey, hey, ho, ho from the Union Thugs. So it's at least mixing it up a bit that we've got, uh, you know, a little something different there. Uh, so points for the creativity, right? Okay, so the NRA is really responsible. Here's something that's shocking in all of this. You have very real, very tangible reasons for why this happened. I've laid the groundwork throughout the course of this hour for the premise uh, as to why we are here why times have changed, how we have a generation of young people that are growing up with the 17th 
best education on average in the world, an education that's been in steady decline for over 30 years, that we have an individual in Nicholas Cruz who had so many problems 39 different times that the police were called over the course of five years to deal with this guy, that he was expelled for disciplinary reasons, that kids uh, that were at this school still said, hey, if anybody were going to uh, shoot up the school, it'd be that guy. We had him actually on, here's where we get to the FBI, being reported last September because he posted on YouTube, I want to be a professional school shooter. Oh. And then, within a month of the shooting, was reported once again to the FBI. Now, Citing our governor in Florida, Rick Scott. I'm Brian Mudd filling in for Mark Levin, broadcasting live from South Florida. And uh, our governor said this. We constantly promote see something, say something. And a courageous person did just that to the FBI. And the FBI failed to act. See something, say something is an incredibly important tool. And people must have confidence in the follow-through from law enforcement. The FBI director needs to resign. Now, I don't know if Christopher Ray's resignation is the answer here or not. But what I do know is that there needs to be accountability. Because here is the next thing that I, I'm just beside myself with. I can't imagine what it's like for any of these families that have been destroyed. I can't even imagine what it's like for the students that lived through this tragedy at that school. Unimaginable. However, isn't it shocking that we see more people more upset feelings being directed at the NRA, at the President of the United States, of Republicans in the state of Florida, because our governor is a, a Republican and the state is controlled by Republicans, then we actually do Nicholas Cruz the attacker. Then we actually do the FBI for failing to do their job. Isn't that shocking? We have more people that are upset with the AR-15 than those that are responsible. Now, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you, ultimately, that there's a political agenda driving all of this, right? Because we have been failed by the FBI on multiple occasions. We have had mental health problems that we've had a conversation about again and again. But again, these things are not new. So, what is different this time? is where this is going. Because this time, we do have gun control that's coming. We had research that showed that the conditions were ripe for it prior to Parkland. And absolutely, the research that's been rolling in since is demonstrating that we are on the path for gun control. How much? How extensive? I'm going to share the research with you. And get ready, because it's coming. That's next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is 
is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Well, actually, I'm at about uh, 10 feet above sea level and uh, not far from the beach. This is Brian Mudd. Going in for the great one, Mark Levin. I uh, do a morning show on WJNO in West Palm Beach in a mid-morning show on WIOD in Miami. And I've been right in the middle of this Parkland shooting, the debate, the gun control argument, and the emotion for the past week. And I've learned a great deal, and I have a lot to share with you, including this hour, why gun control is coming, period. And I mentioned at the onset, I think we could be screwed this time. I spent last hour explaining why I think we could be screwed this time. And a big part of it has to do with how we got here. We didn't get here just because Nicholas Cruz, this unstable 19-year-old, went in and shot up the school. It's much more complicated than that. We got here, as I outlined, because, well, we have a country of students that hasn't been taught the Second Amendment, hasn't been taught American history, Frankly, doesn't even understand uh, why or how the Second Amendment came to be, why it was the second highest priority. Uh, that, hey, you had a bunch of uh, ragtag revolutionaries who actually used a bunch of guns and any other weapons they could to kill a bunch of British people until they gave up. Uncomfortable truth, but true. So they said, hey, um, freedom of expression, number one, number two, and you have the firepower to be able to back it up and uh, defend yourself and you know protect yourself maybe somewhere down the line against the government should the government get out of control. Ooh, is that an uncomfortable conversation? I'm uncomfortable even saying it, but it's true, right? So without that foundation and without that premise and without the understanding that, oh, ever since the creation of the Department of Education in 1980, education has gone but one direction, and that is down in the United States of America. United States was second in education outcomes in 1980 when the Department of Education was created. Most recently, we are 17th. We've gone nowhere but down ever since. And what's happened? Well, God, among other things, has been kicked out of school, which I don't think happens to be a coincidence. We see that we never had a mass shooting in a grade school until 1999. And, well, now we have mass shootings uh, that are kind of a thing in our society. And, by the way, in grade schools. So all these different things that have changed. We see that social media is an influence. We have research that shows that it puts more pressure on vulnerable young people. It exacerbates people at the extreme. So people who have mental health problems might be more inclined to act out if they are involved actively in social media, which, oh, look at this, Cruz happened to be. Uh, We also continue to see that, well, ultimately, people go back to one consistent argument. Don't blame the person. Don't talk about how we got here. Don't look for real solutions because we don't have a solution unless we address all those various different concerns. No, instead, let's just talk about gun control. Now, this is why it's coming and why it's going to happen. And the only question is what it looks like. So if we put aside 
the causations behind all of the mass shootings for a moment. Because, again, mental illness and guns are not new. But let's just look at gun control. We see that before Parkland, the appetite was already there, and it had been rising. Now, Gallup, in this particular conversation, is useful. Because Gallup has actually been surveying on this question with regularity since 1991. So even when they're just doing the regular Gallup polling about whatever, they'll ask this question with regularity. So we have a baseline of public sentiment to see, hey, what is the average American thinking on gun control? And what we've seen is that we already had the trend in before Parkland. Here's the deal. In January... An average of 60% of adults in this country, a solid majority, wanted stricter gun control at the federal level. And what's more is that it's been rapidly moving in that direction. In 2014, in an aggregate of Gallup's survey work, 47% of adults wanted more gun control. By 2015 and in 2016, it was up to 55%. As I just mentioned, We were at 60% in January prior to Parkland. So we already had seen the trend that was in. We already saw where the average adult wanted more gun control. And what's happened since? Well, we started to get in that research. ABC News and the Washington Post, the first in. 58% of people responding their poll earlier this week said that they thought that stricter gun control could have prevented it. Could have prevented the shooting parkland. Stricter gun. It doesn't mean if it's right or wrong. It's what they think. So if 58% of adults think that simply having stricter gun laws prevent parkland's shooting from happening, and 60% already wanted more gun control, well, you can see that this is a recipe. So they went a bit deeper. And when we take a look, what do we find? The most desired Form of reform, 77% of adults say they want additional and more effective mental health evaluation. Now, this is something you've heard a lot about. It's been talked about by a number of public officials, from the president uh, to our governor in Florida, Rick Scott. And it has been part of the collective conversation for several years now. So what is that? Don't know. But you can bet that some type of stricter mental health evaluation is going to come into play before you buy a gun. And again, this is where the details, I mean, we just don't know. But it's what people want overwhelmingly, 77%. How often do you have 77% of Americans that agree on anything? They agree, yeah, mental health evaluation, whatever that means, do it, more of it, before somebody gets a gun. Okay, so that's coming. Next up, 58% of Americans want, beyond that, further restriction on ownership. And that means different things to different people. To some people... They're scared of the AR-15 because they're uninformed, they're misinformed. They hear, you know, the leftists say, "Oh yeah, it's what our military uses," which is a bunch of bullcrap, by the way. Uh, they are not walking around with semi-automatics out there in the battlefield. So anybody who tells you that they're they're lying, and they're either lying deliberately or they're ignorant. Either way, it's false. Now, that is where the conversation is for some people. For other people, they want everything gone. And that's where the dishonesty comes into play, right? I'm going to give you something from the Sun Sentinel. Now, we have a few major papers in South Florida. 
The Sun Sentinel is the second biggest one, but it happens to be the one that's based out of Fort Lauderdale, which is in Broward, which is where Parkland is. And they have been running nonstop stories in one particular direction, and that has been fanning the flames of gun control. This was an actual editorial from their editorial board a couple days ago. Headline, banning assault weapons could prevent school shootings. That's quite a declarative statement, isn't it? Here's an excerpt. There's no silver bullet for stopping people with miserable lives from killing people in places where they congregate. But do we have to sell them weapons of war to mow us down so fast? AR-15s aren't designed for hunting or self-defense. They're designed to kill a lot of people. Now, end of the excerpt from the Sun Sentinel piece. A couple things here. This is right on point with the first line and full of a bunch of nonsense thereafter. To the first sentence, there's no silver bullet for stopping people with miserable lives from killing people in places where they congregate. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, correct. But, but, let's take a look at everything else. The hyperbole. So just semi-automatic weapons, AR-15s, are not weapons of war, for starters. And then regarding hunting, oh my gosh, and this, oh, drives me nuts. Uh, this was something that, that drove me nuts last Saturday in Fox News. I'm a guest contributor to Fox News as well, and I was just getting into the meat of dealing with this issue with our Senator Bill Nelson, who was talking about AR-15s not being for hunting, and I didn't quite get uh, to the uh, crux of my argument, but the Second Amendment has nothing to do with hunting. It has everything to do with protecting yourself and your liberty. And the reason gets back to why the Second Amendment is the second highest priority of the founders. The ability for you to bear arms, we need to look at it in context. And again, it gets back to the lack of teaching of American history. It was the Second Amendment. It was granted such exceptional consideration because the people who wrote the Constitution were involved in a revolution where they had to use them against a repressive government. And if we're going to have a debate about further gun control, which is happening, here's what I ask for at a minimum. Integrity. What a concept. Acknowledgement of facts. That would be nice. I've spent the past hour sharing them with you. And then open debate of the facts. Because if the debate is simply going to ensue on blatantly false statements, non-facts, emotional arguments, a bunch of bullcrap, well, we're going to get bullcrap out. Again, if the premise of anything is false, anything you build on top of it will be too. And that gets back to one other thing that you should not be embracing. Something that I wanted to say for last from this headline from the Sun Sentinel. Banning assault weapons could prevent school shootings. You notice anything else with that? Something seems strange aside from the fact that it's a bunch of nonsense. Banning assault weapons. Now let me ask you, what's an assault weapon? Anybody? I mean, couldn't we make the argument that any gun, any gun is an assault weapon? Hell, we make the argument that a pocket knife's an assault weapon, right? Why so? You get the point. See, what's happening right now, as the dishonest media is working overtime because they see a window of opportunity to rein in gun ownership, 
what they're doing is they're inserting false narratives like that, assault weapons, into the conversation as a term and condition. Because there's one other fact that I'm going to share with you next that tells you how many people are being dishonest in this entire debate, and many of them in the media. I've got the number of people that really want to take all guns away, that want no private ownership of guns. It's the last piece of research I'm going to share with you pertaining to this gun control argument, and that's coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. heard that soundbite over the past day, the sound of one of the students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, survivor of that incident, who was on hand at the state session where a vote took place on, and I always love these, House Bill 219. Uh, This was a bill in the Florida House of Representatives, as the session is going on right now, that dealt theoretically with elements of gun control. And so, in the midst of the festivities, the hyperbole that's going on, the emotion, the gun control argument, the opportunism that is there for those who have an agenda, we had this vote that came up. And I'm going to kick this off by sharing an excerpt with you uh, from the Miami Herald. First, this was the Miami Herald's headline this morning. As students watch... Lawmakers debate porn, but refuse to take up assault weapons ban. Here's an excerpt. House Republicans on Tuesday decisively blocked a move by Democrats to debate a ban on assault weapons in Florida. Six days after a massacre that took 17 lives at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. The bill, House Bill 219, which would ban the sale and possession of semi-automatic weapons and high-capacity magazines like the kind used by Nicholas Cruz, has been mired in a House subcommittee for months and has not been heard. Amid rising tensions at the Capitol, Democrats used the highly unusual procedure to try to move the proposal directly to the House floor for a debate and vote. Republicans voted it down 71 to 36. Several survivors of the high school massacre watching from the visitor's gallery were overcome with emotion, and the action set off a firestorm of controversy on social media. Now, here's the thing, and you heard the clip from the one girl who made the rounds, because, hey, uh, you're now a national hero to the left. You just called every Republican uh, in the state uh, a, uh, a murderer. So you're now their hero. Congratulations. Here's the thing. An important headline, very important story that has been misreported every step of the way, including here locally. Uh, the one thing that was accurate uh, completely in context in the excerpt I just read from you is that it's been sitting there for months. This wasn't something new that was crafted after Parkland to address even the gun control concerns specific to Nicholas Cruz. No, it had been sitting there by Democrats in the state just waiting for an opportunity like this to capitalize on it, 
to get the sound bites, to get the media to say, look at these Republicans that want your kids to die. Those murderers. Here is the language in the House bill. Selective fire, firearm capable of fully automatic, semi-automatic, or burst fire. Selective firearm capable of fully automatic, semi-automatic, or burst fire. Now, here's something uh, for you to think about. What does that even mean? If you're a gun owner, I am. Do you even know what that specifically could entail? How many guns would go away with that? In talking to experts, uh, even hunting rifles would go away had this passed. And fully automatic guns, those have been illegal since the 80s. So what exactly was this? Not what it was made to be. This was opportunism at its best. A false premise that had been embraced and pushed by Democrats in the state of Florida with a useful media that has an agenda of gun control and all kinds of willing participants just ready, like these students who have now become political weapons of the left. Political weapons which are being fanned in D.C., being fanned in Tallahassee, being fanned in walkouts all throughout South Florida, and expanding to other parts of the country, too, because, hey, it's now kind of the cool thing to do. But once again, what isn't taking place is an actual factual conversation about what this vote was, about the premise, about the causations, about how we got here in the first place. So, as they like to say, there are two sides to every story, one side to every fact. And by the way, the key stat that I mentioned, how many people want complete elimination of firearms, the number, 28% of all Americans. We'll talk about that coming up next. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Liberty's General Patton. Call into the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. My goal is Friday. I'm going to come up with a proposal. And it's going to be as well thought out as I can make it. All right? And I'm going to take all the input that you all have given me, and I'm going to talk to as many people as I can, and I know all of you are going to continue to want to be involved. My goal is to come up with something that is going to move the needle and make parents feel more comfortable that their kid's going to go to a safe school. That's the goal. I signed a memorandum directing the Attorney General to propose regulations to ban all devices that turn legal weapons into machine guns. This is important to me because I don't want any other community to ever deal with this situation. This, you never think it's going to happen to your community until it does. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've been through, what you know about the issue. We want something to happen. We need something to happen. It was 73 to 36. It is Brian Mudd and for the great one, Mark Levin. And we have been talking about how gun control is coming, why it's coming, how we got here in the first place, and the things that have changed, starting with the education establishment itself and what's been happening to our education system, which, by the way, independent of any gun control conversation, independent of any other tragedy, people should be mad as hell that we are spending more than we've ever spent on education in this country. And our outcomes are the worst they've ever been. 
I mean, somewhere along the way, doesn't that, you know, concern parents? Or is it just, you know, if kids get shot up in school that parents seem to be concerned? I mean, that is a tragedy in and of itself that we had fallen from number two in education worldwide in 1980 with the creation of the Department of Education. And we're number 17 and still moving backwards today. And we've done nothing but uh, go into this slow, steady decline. But here's the thing. You hear the uh, the governor, the president, hey, we're doing these listening sh- sessions. Hey, we're going to do something. And that something is going to be gun control. And, again, I share the uh, research with you about the undercurrent already being there, the overwhelming majority of Americans in favor of gun control before Parkland, and this time being different because the mood of the country was already there, and then you set it off with the shooting. Now, the one thing I mentioned at the end of the last segment that is paramount in this entire conversation, how many people are actually honest brokers? A lot of people aren't. You know that. How many people in media are really just trying to bait you, give you a little bit? How many people on the left are just trying to bait you, give you a little bit, reel you in? Now, those who want the eradication of private ownership of guns, they know they can't go from where we are today, to completely confiscating guns. How do you get there? You get there through incrementalism, the same way they took God out of schools, right? The same kind of incrementalism that's led to our education going from being world-class to something that sucks, right? Incrementalism. Now, in that research from January that I shared with you earlier in the hour, there is a hidden devil in the details about the true intent of people. 28% of Americans before Parkland wanted the elimination of private ownership of guns. 28%, more than a quarter of all Americans. How many of them, by the way, do you think are in media? How many of them do you think are in elective office across this country on the left? So understand that we're not dealing with many honest brokers in this debate publicly. Understand one's true intent. And if you're going to end up in this type of debate with someone, ask that question first. What is your real goal here? Do you believe in private ownership of guns? Start with that part of the conversation. If they're trying to say, yeah, if only these ARs. Try to get to the true intent. You'll be able to call them out on their BS pretty quickly, even if they try to cover. Because that's what's really going on here. Two sides of every story. One side every fact. And we need to deal with those because we're talking about something that people died for here. The ability for you to have your freedom in this country. The freedom that's not taught. The freedom that's not understood. The freedom that a lot of people want to keep you personally from being able to protect. The uncomfortable conversations. All these different types of things. By the way, the one other stat that is not necessarily um, a gun control type of conversation, but one that is related, you do have 42% of Americans that want to allow teachers to carry on campus and school administrators. But that's a minority, right? So probably unlikely it's going to happen outside of the states like Texas, where it already exists. All right, so a uh, couple things here, by the way. And I had a bunch of inquiries um, the last time I was in for The Great One when I did my 30-count indictment of Devin Nunes. So a couple things. Um, if you go to uh, the cheat sheet, Brian Much cheat sheet, WJNO.com, I've got that indictment for you. And I also have all of the research I've shared with you on tonight's show, along with a bunch of stuff I'll never get to. 
all of my research so you have access to all of my facts and you can use it as ammunition as you see fit. Because, again, you can't, you can't argue with the truth and with facts. But we can have honest conversations as long as we're armed with them. All right, let's go to the phones. And let's start with uh, one of my peeps right here in South Florida. Uh, in Miami, it's Paul. Paul, go. Hey, Paul. Are you there, Paul? Going once, going twice. All right, let's go to Charles in Las Vegas. Charles, go. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, you bet. Doing a great job. Doing a great job. Um, as far as answering the question, how do we get here in the first place, here's my take. <clears throat> it didn't start with the Department of Education in 1980. It started in 1962 when the U.S. Supreme Court declared its war on God by outlawing prayer in school. That's a good point. That's... And from then, uh, we had uh, the sexual revolution, which led to uh, the disintegration of the family, which led to 50 million abortions, uh, which has led to this opioid crisis, uh, and now these high school shootings, and now this phony gun control debate. It's there's no question about it. Uh, so y you bring up a very relevant point uh, that we eliminated prayer in public school. And then we ended up through uh, regulations from the Department of Education, eventually weeding away any elements of it in school. I remember I am a an exer and I remember the sea change in school uh, when uh, when I was going through the progression. We did have things like Christmas break. We did have a Pledge of Allegiance with Under God. We had all those things. And as I was graduating from high school, I saw these things in the 90s change. And at that point, it was like, oh, okay, you know, times, times are different now. And there are going to be implications here. And last hour, I was mentioning that, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I used to say, Wow, you know, we got some problems here because I was talking about education outcomes and I was talking about things that were changing not for the better in schools. I'm like, somewhere along the way, this is going to be a problem. And one of the things as an analyst that I caution against is recency bias. Recency bias is something that is part of the human condition. It's necessarily normal to think that whatever is going on today is more relevant than what's happened previously because you're living it. And you're feeling it in the moment. Now, people will say, oh, man, politics has never been worse in this country. I mean, come on, people. Have a good real moment. We fought a war against each other. This just in. I think things have been worse. And even aside from the Civil War, by the way, we literally used to have people that would have to check their guns outside the halls of Congress, and they would fight it out inside. I mean, that kind of stuff actually happened. So it's been worse than it is today, just as a, an unrelated example of recency bias, because, again, we're living it and we're feeling it. Can I make a comment? Yeah, go for it. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said, without God, liberty will not last. More recently, Ronald Reagan said, without God, democracy will not and cannot endure. Um, with these, uh, I'm thankful for Donald Trump for appointing Neil Gorsuch, a good conservative uh, justice. I think that's going to be great. Hopefully we can get a couple more. I'm thankful that he appointed 12 other uh, conservative justices to the appellate federal courts. So I'm hoping that we can start to turn. It's going to be it's going to be years, if not decades, before we can turn this death spiral spiral around. You know, it's just like if I put you know a couple termites at the base of your house foundation, you're not going to notice it falling down for years, if not decades. 
That's what people are failing to see. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right, Charles, and I appreciate the call. You're on point. In fact, what you're saying segues with, uh, you know, the, the rest of the point I was talking about with regard to recency bias, because one of the things that we're inclined to do as a society is overreact and go, oh, my gosh, you know, if you're a conservative, you go, we're screwed here. I mean, take a look at this society. And something that I'm inclined to point out is that to go back to the 2016 election cycle, it's very easy to overlook and not know that we had more elected Republicans, top to bottom, in the United States of America than at any other time since the 1920s. And you, you sit there and go, hold on, if society has you know, totally lost itself, if there's no hope anymore, I mean, if the ship has sailed, how in the world would that happen, right? It's also a reminder that the media is not near as relevant as a lot of people want to think it is still. If they have the control that they had, no way in hell that Donald Trump is president in the first place, and no way that those types of election outcomes would have happened. Now... That being said, what is different, and, and this is where I think it's important to, to understand some of these nuances, to the point about God, if you have that as your foundation, there's something different than someone who doesn't have that as their foundation. And that is a risk we have, because another piece of information that is clear, we are seeing consistently fewer people identify with God, whatever that might mean to them. And again, whether you happen to believe in Jesus Christ, you know, or whatever else, Allah, you know, if you're looking for true intent and goodness in this world, the, the values implicit in religion were foundational to the goodness of this country and society, society generally. And the further you move our society from those principles, we should not be surprised when there's less good in this world. And that is a real concern. That is a foundational difference, and that's not recency bias, because, again, we have research and information to show that progressively fewer people are, are identifying with God. And, again, I think a lot of it starts with the classroom. And as you pointed out, uh, it actually started not just with the Department of Education 1980, but Supreme Court ruling about prayer in the 60s, true, uh, and the creep that's happened ever since. Uh, so we will continue this conversation, get more of your thoughts coming up next. I'm Brian Mutt, in for the great one. Mutt Lovin. Handed to uh, some of these kids. Uh, they've got catcher things and, and newer material uh, than uh, like the, the union thugs who sit there and do the hey, hey, ho, ho. You know, so hey, you guys could take a page. I uh, could take a page from the protests of the kids. Uh, you know, mix it up a little bit. Um, all right, so we've been talking about gun control, the situation with Parkland, going through all of the facts, trying to peel back all of the layers because gun control is so easy, isn't it? But that really isn't how we got here in the first place. And, uh, Patiently waiting on the line has been William in Covina, California. William, go. Hey, um, I just want to give you some hope. Uh, I'm a teacher. I teach eighth grade history, a largely Hispanic population. I spend about six to seven weeks on the stuff leading up to the revolution, about a week or two on the revolution, then about six weeks or more on the Constitution. And I teach these kids the Constitution as the, as the uh, framers intended it to be understood, as well as the amendments. 
And I'm telling you, when these kids are taught the truth about the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, they accept it. In fact, if you walked into my classroom tomorrow and asked my kids, why do we have the Second Amendment? They'd tell you it's to protect us against the tyranny of a government gone rogue. That's what they'd tell you. Wow. Hey, God bless you, William. Um, public school? Uh, well, I, I can't say the name of the school, but it's here in Southern California. Okay. And uh, are you a pariah amongst your peers? Uh, surprisingly, not as much as you might think. There's a few conservative teachers in this system, not many of us, but there's a few. And I will tell you, uh, because I argue from an originalist point of view, whenever we go to uh, uh, meetings where all the social studies teachers gather throughout the district, um, they respect me so much that they're using my test for the district benchmark test. Holy cow, there is hope. If it can happen in Southern California, uh, there is still hope. <laughs> Thank yep, you very much, nice. William. Uh, yeah, you, you made my night right there. I, I certainly do appreciate it. All right, uh, let's stay in California for a moment. Let's go to Bill in Santa Cruz. Bill, Hi, go. Brian. Hey. Hey, um. I wanted to touch uh, two phone call, uh, two calls ago. Uh, you were talking about God having God taken out of the uh, classroom and out of school and out of uh, education, and you know what a what a true statement. Um, uh, it, because any religion that believes in a God, in God, I happen to be Christian, believe in the God. They they God gave us an instruction manual that tells us how to be successful. So there's black and white rules to follow. And my liberal friends don't like that because they like the gray area so much. They 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 kind of revel in the gray area. They don't want to be told they, judgment, you know, being judged like that. Sure. And well, it's it, a terrible it, thing. It's it's an important point uh, to be willing in this politically correct age to have these conversations. And again, I'm not. I'm the last person who's going to be evangelizing from the mic because I have no business doing so. I uh, joke with uh, the folks locally that I'm a half-assed Catholic um, because at best that's what I am. However, there is value in the foundation-based principles. There is value in believing there is something greater than oneself. Because, I mean, at its most cynical for a moment, at its most cynical, and I've got atheist friends that will debate, debate me to no end. I've been told for, forever and a day, oh, you're too smart to believe in God. But ultimately, think about this for a moment. Everybody has faith in something, right? Because I'm a very big believer in science, but I'll walk back with you however far you want to go. Let's say that, you know, hey, we, we evolved from single-cell molecules. Okay, cool. Uh, so how did those get here? Well, yeah, the the Big Bang or something. Okay, well, how'd that get here, right? I mean, at some point, science can't explain it either, and that in and of itself is a faith of sorts, right? But the difference is, if that's all you believe in, right. and, and that is your faith, there's no principle behind it that will lead you to a solid foundation. Conversely, if you believe that there is something greater than yourself, you understand there are things that you can't explain, therefore there are things that are greater than you on this planet, at your most cynical moment, at your worst moment, you're going to be inclined to be held accountable to others, to something perhaps that puts you here in the first place. And that, I think, is a value above all else. That matters in these conversations. The one foundation-based principle, the one thing within the statistics that genuinely makes me worried. Everything else, I think there's hope. Uh, but that one in particular is is a wild card that scares me. And that's why, at the onset of the show, I said, well, this time we might be a little bit screwed. Because if people don't know, and if 
people don't have anything to hold them accountable, yeah, that could be an issue. Brian Mudd, filling in for the great one. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Well, the great one is under the weather, but it is an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Brian Mudd broadcasts in from West Palm Beach. No underground bunker here. That would be pretty much underwater, just about 10 feet above sea level. And uh, I host a morning show on uh, WJNO in West Palm Beach and then a mid-morning show on WYOD in Miami. And I've been right in the middle, in fact, right between my two stations, uh, pretty much central between Miami and West Palm Beach. Happens to be Parkland which is now a name that has become a household name, whereas it used to just be a nice western community west of Fort Lauderdale. And having lived this for a week now, been able to share a lot of the perspective with you from some of the local reporting, some of the hyperbole in the background that you aren't getting in the national press, at least the truth about what's real and what isn't. And over the course of the first couple of hours, we've talked about the facts, because I believe that there are two sides to stories, one side to facts. We're all entitled to our opinions, but never to, let's call them, alternative facts. So as we've walked through the course of the show today, shared with you how this story is much bigger than gun control. It's much bigger than Nicholas Cruz. It's much bigger than mental illness. It's much bigger than any singular factor. It's been complicated and it's been coming for a long time. We've talked about how education outcomes have gone from second in the world in 1980 at the incarnation of the Department of Education to 17th most recently. And all we've done is go backwards, taking a look at the differences in education today compared to back then, including the elimination of God in the classroom, which I think ultimately does play a role. As I believe the further our society moves away from those principles, not surprisingly, the worse the outcomes will be. We've talked about the research on gun control prior to Parkland and how the sentiment was already there, how this time is different. And we are going to get gun control this time because the will of the average American was already there before this catalyst with 60% of Americans wanting some form of restricted gun access from where we currently stand federally before Parkland. And now 77% of Americans wanting at least something done with mental health being at the top of the list, but also restricted gun access, whatever that means, which can be different things to different people being next with a solid majority, 58%, wanting something to be done. We've talked about the failures at the FBI and how in both of the mass shootings here in Florida, the Pulse nightclub and this one in Parkland, if the FBI had done their damn job, we don't have these stories. We're not having this conversation. There are 49 people in Orlando that still be alive today. There are 17 people in Parkland that still be alive today. And yet we see that there's more angst more frustration being directed at 
AR-15s being directed at the president, being directed at Republican politicians in Florida, then at the perp, Nicholas Cruz, at the FBI, which has failed us, or at the education establishment, which has been sowing the seeds of the decline in our society for some time, or even the bigger conversation about social media and how it exacerbates extremes in our society, especially with vulnerable young people in entertainment. We don't deal with any of the issues. We don't get to the premise. We just deal with the political agenda. And that's why I implore you not to get engaged in monkey feces fights. The most frustrating thing that people will do to themselves that are thoughtful, that want to make a difference, this is true of politics generally. What happens? Let's say that you're conservative for a moment. We all know the people that are ready and willing to have that political fight with us at any moment in time. You can probably envision that person or those people around you, right? They're always ready for that argument. Are they open-minded? Do they actually want facts and information? Or are they the most closed-minded people you know? The most frustrating thing you will ever do in your life is finding the most closed-minded leftist that you know and getting into a monkey feces fight with them. People have to be open to information before you're going to get anywhere. So if you want to make a difference, you at least have to find those people and then get to the premise and get to the bottom of these facts and share them. And again, I've made the information available to you, all of my research, all of the facts, including plenty of my research that we're not going to get to on tonight's show. It's all available on uh, the cheat sheet, Brian Munch cheat sheet, WJNO.com. So you can go check that out and share it. One of the other things I covered there, too, was something from a couple of Fridays ago when I was last filling in for the great one, and that is the Nunes memo, the 30-count indictment that I laid out. And here's the irony behind that, by the way. If even one of the 30 statements of fact, the Nunes memo, if even one of them stands at the end of all of this, we had grand conspiracy at the highest levels of the Justice Department, at the highest levels of the FBI, and who knows, potentially leading up to the president. The one thing we did not have a couple of Fridays ago when the Nunes memo was released was any trace to the president. But what we know is in the subsequent texts that were recovered between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, we had our first reference of President Obama. Now, we don't have the context. We don't know if it was in conjunction with this, but simply that President Obama wanted information on something. And by the way, that's also what Devin Nunes is working on now. It's been buried in this news cycle. But Devin Nunes is now looking into whether or not President Obama was involved, whether he had any knowledge of all of these different potential conspiracies. And so here we sit, two and a half weeks later, not one of 30 statements of fact has been credibly disputed. Not one. In fact, not even really attempted. That in and of itself is something that is important because this cannot drift from the headlines and be out of sight and out of mind. When you have that level of corruption at the Justice Department and at the FBI. So that's something else that you should not just let go of. And thankfully, Devin Nunes isn't at this point either. Now, there's something else that I wanted to mention, uh, and this is something that you probably haven't heard. We now have a annual report from none other than the folks at ICE. Now, remember, President Trump made a series of promises, including 
in addition to building the wall, enforcing the southern border and immigration policy generally. Now, remember, one of the promises that he made is that, hey, we're going to start with those that are already criminals on top of being here illegally. So the criminals on top of being criminals. And here we are. We're under two weeks away from the docket deadline, March 5th. And you have all those debates and, and conversations about a DACA fix to comprehensive reform being debated in Congress, seemingly going nowhere, by the way. But we do now have the ICE annual report to see what happened in 2017. So what's real? What was political noise? Here are the facts. Last year, 74% of all ICE arrests had previous criminal records. An additional 11% had pending charges and cases in the legal system. So that's 85% that either were criminals on record and another 11, uh, or the, the folks are pending, only 11% had absolutely no prior legal history that were detained. So when the president claimed that the priority was to identify and act against the known offenders, well, guess what? That's what they did. Now, is that being reported? No, of course not, right? Probably the first time you've heard anything about this. The information's been out there. I mean, just happened to go into the ICE annual report. Now, based on the facts from the first year, we know what the focus was, what the president said. We already know that we have criminals out there that are only documented because they're criminals that were here illegally. So let's deal with them. What was the uh, the total uh, count last year, the arrests made by ICE? 143,470 arrests. What does that look like in context? That was a 30% increase in arrests made by ICE over 2016. So we did see the ramping up, as promised, and the target being of those that already had criminal records. Now, here's the next piece of the story. You've heard the president say, hey, we are understaffed. We need to ramp up. Well, guess why? Here is another important detail to this. While 143,000 arrests were made by ICE last year, which is a 30% increase, guess what? That is well, well below where we were even a handful of years ago. See, during the Obama administration, when President Obama first came into office, ICE arrests in 2009 were a shade under 300,000. We had right at 298,000 arrests made, 2009. By the time he was done, 2016, his last year in office, 110,000. A 63% decline in overall ICE arrest. So what we saw is it wasn't just rhetoric. We saw that President Obama took the emphasis off of ICE detaining those that were here illegally, including those that had previous criminal records. We saw that with the lack of funding and the understaffing, we weren't, even with an increased focus last year, able to make as much progress as the administration would have wanted to make. And while the president delivered on his promises, we're still waiting on Congress to deliver on theirs to give us the level of support that is needed for ICE to do their job. Coming up, we're going to talk about the top five cities for arrest and Get some of your thoughts as well. Plus, I will share with you why there is a 92% chance the Democrats are going to pick up seats in Congress this year. It's just a matter of how many. All of that coming up. This is 
uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mud Lovin. Directing the Attorney General to propose regulations to ban all devices that turn legal weapons into machine guns. Ah, uh, yeah, President uh, Trump. And so it's coming. Uh, I had mentioned last hour, it's coming. Gun control is coming. The mood, the temperature was right before the shooting in Parkland, and now it's going to happen. Yeah, heard the president. He already signed a, uh, an executive memo uh, that calls on the final review to basically be able to take action even through executive order against bump stocks if necessary. But you can bet there'll be some type of legislative move with regard to gun control. Now, bump stocks in particular, one in uh, one element of gun control that even the NRA was on board with after Las Vegas, and all that just kind of got mired along with the whole reciprocity bill uh, between states for uh, concealed carry uh, permit owners. And so all that stalled, all that back on the table now. And the question, the details, what type of gun control are we going to have? But we know that we're going to have it. And many states have already begun to take action, independent of what happens federally. And uh, that is certainly uh, one of the major talking points here in Florida. I am Brian Mudd, filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. And one of the elements I was talking about, uh, somewhat related to this entire conversation about overall security in this country, uh, immigration and the arrests made by ICE, what the president has been trying to do from a security standpoint, shared with you last segment that we did end up getting a 30% increase in ICE arrests of illegal immigrants last year. 30% increase. However, we're still well below the levels that we were at prior to President Obama, in part because, well, we don't have the staffing that we need. And I also mentioned that we'll talk about where the areas of greatest need happen to be. Probably not a huge surprise that overwhelmingly the majority of arrests were made in Texas. In fact, the top five cities for arrests last year Included three in Texas. Number five, San Antonio. Number four, Chicago. Three, Atlanta. Two, Houston. And one, Dallas. So for those who say, oh, you know, we don't need the law. We, we don't need protection. So the border, I mean, number one, how about listening to the folks who are doing the job? The border patrol says, hey, yeah, well, we need the wall. So, hey, um, if they're the people that are actually doing the job and they say, yeah, uh, we could use this thing. Maybe that's important. Secondarily, if overwhelmingly we've got the biggest problem in Texas, well, what does that tell you? And by the way, part of the reason why there probably weren't more arrests in California, well, some of those sanctuary cities as well, which is another massive part of this conversation. Because when you take a look down the list, there are a few things that come uh, into focus. One that's somewhat interesting pertaining to Florida. You might think that Florida would be kind of high on the list. Only one city in the top 25 in Florida. And that happened to be Miami. Uh, Miami, 6,192 ICE arrests last year, an average about 17 per day. What was interesting, New York, barely even on the top 25 list. And the reason why? Well, ultimately, because the city of New York not cooperating with ICE, which is why the Justice Department recently sent out uh, the note demanding to see how local authorities are handling the ICE detainer request, because it's clear 
that part of the problem is that sanctuary cities really are basically dubbing their nose at the federal government and making cities less safe. That California was not well represented. The New York City wasn't there, but Buffalo was. Buffalo, New York. As many arrests as New York City, are you kidding me? Uh, for illegal immigrants? I mean, the Canadians, hey, <laughs> round up the Canadians. Hey, you, you accidentally, uh, you know, you're on the wrong side of the falls over here. I mean, seriously? So as we're having this entire conversation about gun control, about security, it's about time that we deal with facts and information and reality because we are devoid of it in today's society. Now, I mentioned that the politics are going to come into focus in a very big way as we're having these conversations in a midterm election cycle, right? Well, here's another big, big consideration. 92% chance that Democrats will gain seats in Congress. And the question there, kind of like the gun control thing, the specificity of it, it's going to happen. The only question is how extensively it's going to happen. And that is ultimately something that we're going to be able to shed some light on here coming up in just a few. Uh, because, well, history as a guide, it's pretty telling what we're most likely to see. I'm Brian Mudd, filling in for the great one. of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. It's definitely money, of course. People are greedy, and that's the way the world is. But it's also morality. Are are you going to choose to own an AR-15 over letting your child go to school and feel safe every day, go to a concert, go to church, go to the mall without having to fear for their life? Ah, uh, yeah, so now it's uh, morality. If you own an AR-15, you are apparently amoral. Um, ah, you, you got to love the moral equivalency thing from a student, uh, one of the survivors of uh, the shooting in, in Parkland at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And they are being used, so many of these young people, as political weapons today. And it is tragic to see this happen. And that's why it's important to be clear with the facts and with reality as we advance in this argument. Because when even minors are being used as political weapons, all bets are off with what the left will do as they see a window of opportunity to reign in your right to bear arms. And so uh, we will get to the phones and get some of your thoughts on uh, the gun control topic here in just a moment. Every Wednesday, I do a midweek midterm elections update, and I uh, have that for today, and I wanted to share it with you. I've mentioned a, a stat uh, throughout the course of the show, 92%. And so one of the things that I do as an analyst uh, I take a look at numbers. I'm just, you know, a big dork that way. And I put things together and, uh, historically, uh, have had a great deal of success in doing so. For example, uh, I am the crazy person and it's all documented for those who are all skeptics out there. I've been on the air. I was on the air with this for a very long time leading up to the election, but I was that crazy guy who did actually have Donald Trump winning the electoral college, Hillary Clinton winning the popular vote and Republicans, uh, with their majorities in Congress and, uh, all the, Specific elections I tracked uh, ended up uh, on the right side of that, too. So historically, if you can track all the different elements, you, you have three different things that come into play when you're talking about election cycles. Because uh, the, as much as things change, if you have information in history, you got a lot you can work with. So, for example, you got the big picture, the macro stuff. 
Then you got the lay of the land in specific races, and then you got the landscape in a particular election cycle. So, for example, I like to call the place where you are now home field advantage. Who has home field advantage in this game, in this particular political cycle? And the answer is overwhelmingly the Democrats. Here's the deal. Since the advent of the current two-party system, we've had 39 midterm elections. And on average, the president's party loses four seats in the Senate and 30 seats in the House. And if that happens, Democrats retake control of both chambers of Congress this year. Again, if just the average thing happens. Now, Democrats only need to flip two Senate seats to retake control. They need 24 seats in the House. So history, it's on the side of Democrats reclaiming control of Congress straight up and into the cycle. That's the reality. Now, there, there are only three times that the incumbent president's party has gained seats. Only three times. 1934, during FDR's first term. 1998, during Bill Clinton's second term. And 2002, during George W. Bush's first term. So only three out of 39 times. In other words, that's a 92% historical chance that Democrats gain congressional seats this year. The question then simply becomes how many. That's where that number comes into play. So home field advantage, without a doubt, it's with the Democrats this particular cycle. One of the other things you'll notice, if you know your history, there were major factors for those three midterm elections in which the president's party actually gained seats. 34 with FDR, Great Depression, the New Deal. 98, Bill Clinton, you had the repudiation of the impeachment effort. In 2002, Bush's term, you had 9-11. So it also requires some incredible catalyst that is unforeseen that leads to a president being able to gain historically. So that's where the conversation begins. And then when you take a look at this first piece of the puzzle, ultimately the generic ballot does matter. You hear a lot of conversation about that these days. It's not all a bunch of bull crap. It's not the predictive factor. But it is a predictive factor. Now, here's the one thing that is true in the polling age. Whatever the average of the generic ballot polling has suggested, which party will perform best, that party has performed the best in that cycle. There's never been a time where the average generic ballot pointed in the direction of one party and the opposite party fared better. So that matters. It also isn't entirely accurate. They average being off by about 3% with the final outcome. And by the way, there's no political bend that favors Republicans and Democrats evenly, historically. So what does this all mean at this particular point? Well, I'll save you more detail and get cut to the chase. As of right now, without the nuances of the races that we know, which we can't track anything yet because we have to get through the primaries to get to the specifics of individual races, and then ultimately the final lay of the land to put the, the, the pieces together. With the generic ballot where it currently is today, if history were otherwise to hold, you'd have Democrats gain about 11 seats in the House and three seats in the Senate. Now, of course, the Senate map, not as favorable for Democrats this year as in the average cycle. So they might not even gain three seats, but potentially two, which is all it takes. But what we would see if history was a guide with where we are today, with the mood of the country and the cycle, you would likely see the Democrats pick up at least one chamber of Congress. So uh, that is your midweek elections update. And to the phones. We've been talking about gun control straight throughout, and let's go to... 
Uh, Andrew in San Francisco, go. Hi, good afternoon. I want to thank you for doing the Lord's work of educating Americans on, on their history. Uh, I would like to address the biggest lie that the media constantly puts out, that the AR-15 is a military weapon that does not belong in civilian hands. First of all, the musket, the muzzle loader, the flintlock, the revolver, the single shot, and the uh, bolt-action rifle were all military weapons at one time. And then when something better came along, they got relegated to civilian use. The AR-15 is just the weapon of the current period of time. It is basically no more than just a varmint rifle. It does not share many of the components that its military counterpart, mainly the trigger fire control system and the bolt carrier group, which is responsible for uh, extracting and chambering rounds into the chamber, is, is not the same as the military counterpart. The military counterpart is much beefier and can take much more sustained fire and abuse. The other part is the trigger fire control system, which everybody's more common with, where you get one shot per trigger pull in the civilian sporting version versus holding down the trigger and getting a continuous stream of fire which the military gets. Uh, at some point here in the near future, we will have weapons that will make the AR-15 seem like a musket. Okay, It is basically, for all intents and purposes, a varmint rifle. The only similarity that it does share with its military counterpart is its ability to accept a detachable magazine, which makes it or lends it to the being an effective defensive tool. I heard a national host earlier today, which will remain un unnamed, suggest that there's no need for you to have a rifle like this for the purpose of self-defense. I would say that most city dwellers would think like that, not if you live out in the country. Furthermore, on top of that, I think that we've all been spared the carnage of somebody deciding to take a shotgun who really knows how to run it and engage in one of these uh, uh, mass shootings, and so I think it's pointless to you know try to ban these weapons, especially when the design for the AR-15 is like 50, 60 years old, and the AK uh, platform is like 70 years old. I've used these both these weapon platforms for almost 30 years. They've existed before we even had air conditioning. It is impossible to regulate these weapons. People can make AR receivers from melting down aluminum cans into into aluminum ingot and then molding it into the shape they want. Andrew uh, Goldstar, I mean, amazing information, and you couldn't be more on point. There you go with all these facts. I mean, but you're missing the, the big point here. It looks scary. I mean, just look at it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know. I'm a gun owner. I don't own an AR-15. My sister does. By the way, she's a, a damn good shot, too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, to, to your point, uh, the only people that are really advancing this argument are people that aren't knowledgeable and that are generally fearful for guns. And so if you're already in that mode where you have a predisposition to be nervous around guns, you see it and you go, oh, my gosh, it looks scary. And that's about as far as the intellectualizing in this goes. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the call. Uh, let's go to Brian in Columbia, South Carolina. Brian, go. Hey, um, yeah, yeah. So we're we're missing the connection here, um, and you kind of touched on part of it. Um, a lot of people have been talking about the mental health issue, but the, the, actually the biggest predictor of these mass shootings is what we would call domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Let me let me follow me for just a moment. Um, your shooter there at the Orlando nightclub, the Texas shooter, the the shooter um, at the Fort Lauderdale airport that came from Alaska. All these gentlemen had documented histories of domestic violence. Yep. Twenty years of research now show 
that the majority of mass shooters in the United States have a history of domestic and intimate partner violence, but you don't hear any of that on the news, and that's a fact. Um, I could list many, many more of the mass shootings where if you get into the background of these shooters, there were things that were missed. Um, the guy, uh, the Texas shooter, the Air Force did not report his domestic violence to the national database. The gentleman from Alaska um, had a charge of domestic violence that was reduced to a misdemeanor that still allowed him to get a gun and take that to the airport in Fort Lauderdale. The gentleman at the Pulse nightclub, um, he had domestic violence uh, investigations uh, lodged against him on two uh, former wives or intimate partners. And so... These are great points. Are you in law enforcement, Brian? 20 years. And Thank I you for your service. Thank yeah. you. And, and I specialize in domestic violence investigations. Well, and, and you reminded me of something. Um, you know, an, an officer told me a long time ago um, that uh, of all the calls they would go on, I had somebody that had a real dangerous beat. I mean, they had to deal with a lot of, of serious gangsters around the port, and uh, no joke. But officer told me that the calls that made him the most nervous were domestic violence, domestic abuse calls, because those were the ones that were most unpredictable. And it sounds like what you're talking about pretty much corroborates that, that whether it's specific to an officer reporting to a domestic situation, ultimately that type of history, kind of like animal abuse has shown up as well, is predictive of behavior later on, if, if not in that moment. Like this too, if you can harm your intimate partner, if you can justify that, You'll hurt anybody. And this kid down here in Florida, um, to what I've been able to check into, some of the calls that law enforcement got to his house were related to him stalking his ex-girlfriend and threatening 100%. her current boyfriend. You're right, Brian. Um, a lot of people have heard the name Scott Israel. He is the uh, Broward Sheriff, and uh, he has some controversial views. He's always been outspoken, but he's always been upfront and transparent with me. And I was talking to him just yesterday. He came on with me, and, uh, you know, we were talking about some of this background. There were 39 different calls, and you're right. There were domestic uh, abuse concerns that have been reported. We just didn't end up connecting the dots. So appreciate the call. Appreciate the service. And uh, we'll continue this conversation next. I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark Lovin. people that cheer you know hysterical rhetoric like that like are you even hearing the words that are coming out of her mouth i mean a little bit odd to be yeah yeah we were dying, oh. uh anyway um brian mudd in for the great one mark levin he's under the weather and i uh, hope that he will get well for you here very quickly uh it's an honor and a pleasure being with you uh broadcasting out of south florida and uh, we've been talking mostly throughout the course of the show today about the lay of the land with gun control. And I've made the case about why it's likely going to happen because the solid majority of Americans already were wanting re more restrictive gun rights or, or laws before we end up having the mass shooting in Parkland. So the recipe is there. And ultimately, uh, this is a, a very good point that Justin in Nashville, I believe, is going to make. Justin, go. 
Hey, how's it going, Brian? So, uh, you know, we, we've talked as conservatives about the importance of school choice, and, you know, the left has talked about wanting to protect children at schools. And we've brought up the point of armed security guards, retired veterans, retired police officers to monitor these schools. And I, I think this goes back to the perfect example of why we still need school choice. Let parents decide if they want to send their kids to a school that has armed security guards or armed teachers, or if they want to send them to a school that is this gun-free zone. I think what you're going to see is a parent's choice is going to overwhelmingly be sending their kids to the schools that have extra measures to protect their children outside of banning guns. Um, you're I- – Right on point. I, I, I think you are, are nailing it on the head. In fact, I uh, had a note from somebody just a bit ago, uh, and the question was ultimately, how can we get God back in schools? Well, I don't think that we're going to be able to undo the Department of Education anytime soon, and I don't think that we're necessarily going to be able to be successful taking the education establishment, the teachers' union, and convincing them that their ironclad mindset is 180 degrees out of whack. What I do think uh, ultimately can exact that outcome is school choice. The most reprehensible thing that I think we do to our young people in society today and the most reprehensible thing that is done to taxpayers today is this. How much nonsense is it that people that are of the lowest socioeconomic means are the ones that ultimately are at the greatest mercy of the education establishment and system? How ridiculous is it that one has no ability to be able to decide where their kids go to school unless they had the resources to be able to pay and to dictate change? That's reprehensible. You have the left that will talk about wanting to raise kids out of poverty, wanting to help them out. What better way than through education? And what happens when you continue to keep kids, often in inner cities and impoverished areas, in the same crappy inner city type schools with the same predictable outcomes? And how reprehensible is it that for a parent who pays taxes, doesn't have resources to do what they really would like to do from an education standpoint for their kids, that you tell them, no, you don't have a right. We make a mistake in our society. It's a very big one. There is not a teacher. There is not a government official that doesn't work for you, that doesn't work for me. They work for us. They work for us. And somewhere along the way, we forgot that. And somewhere along the way, we let them dictate the terms and conditions of how our taxpayer dollars are going to be used. And again, it's a crisis of education that's been a slow, creeping crud, going from second in education outcomes in 1980 to 17th and falling backwards today. And it does begin in the classroom. School choice? Amen. It's necessary. I'm Brian Mudd. Been an honor and a pleasure filling in for the great one.